Am I right in thinking you spoke to one or two operators on yeah. sort of conditioned anonymity? Yeah. And they gave you some quite juicy Yeah, insight. I mean, they, they've basically said, um, and we've heard operators say things like this before, that, um, you know, that Huawei is really important, that it's yeah. ahead in 5G. You know, it's not something that's easily replaced. And right. they are ahead, it's generally yeah, accepted I, I they're that. ahead in so 5G I, So tech. I asked them this, I said, well, what do you mean they're ahead in 5G? Because... Surely with, with something that's standardized, you know, it's it's 5G, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, things we've just been talking about, interoperability, there's there's only a certain number of ways you can differentiate the product, yeah. it's tweaks, it's energy efficiency, it's stuff right. like that. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. I'm joined as ever by Jamie and Ian, who, uh, and we had to retake this because Jamie kept messing around with the camera and stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, and just to remind you that if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or on iTunes, you can watch it on YouTube or the site or Facebook and vice versa. This week, we thought we'd break with recent tradition and go with something completely different. Only joking, we're going to talk about Huawei again. Uh, it's not our fault, stuff keeps happening with Huawei, but actually this is especially Ian's fault because he's written some really good stuff about Huawei. Ian, you've got a garlic I'm just wondering why there's still garlic in here. You do, f- there's some weird stuff they leave yeah. in it. Anyway, um, and apart from that, we're going to talk about 6G. Now, we haven't spoken about that before, Oof, so there we go. Nice. And then we're going to round up by talking about smartphones and maybe some other fun stuff. Mm. Um, but before I get into all of that, I should also flag up that next week we're going to do a special, we're only a week or so away from Mobile Congress, so we're going to do a special preview, what can we expect from Mobile Congress, apart from permanent liver damage, which is normally what we take from it. Um, and we're going to get Paul from CC Group in, who's been who's gone to about a million Mobile Congresses. Has he so been on the podcast before? He yeah. has, he has. Yeah. And he's going to be giving us the long view and yeah, I guess we'll just we'll just offer some kind of preview of what we think everyone's going to be how, banging on about. How many has he been to? Mobile right, congresses, right from the beginning. Oh, like yeah, since it was in someone's shed in right in Stevenage. So I never went to it when it was in Cannes. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think we're going back twenty years. We're talking. Well, we're talking a ray level of longevity yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> um, on the scale he's older one than he ray. looks. Then <laughs> scale of one to ray. <laughs> he rode to his first mobile congress on a on a dinosaur, literally. <laughs> Um, so yes, we're going to do that. Uh, so make sure, you, and, we, and we're going to do it. We're going to shoot it on the Thursday. This is normally shot on a Friday. We're going to shoot it on Thursday so that Pierre can turn it around, and we can get up on the site on the Friday, so you can listen to it on your flight to Barcelona. Lucky you! Think how prepared you'll be for Mobile Congress as a result of that. We're just too kind to our audience, I think. Okay, so uh, Huawei for a change. Mm. Now I'm going to almost straight away hand it over to you, Ian, because we're going to write about it because. Um, I'm going to talk about it, sorry, because you've written at least a couple of things that I read this week that I thought were really good on the subject. And just the first sort of handover, we touched on it in the last podcast when we were talking about this Oran Alliance thing. Yeah. And I touched on it because I knew you were researching it, yeah. but you hadn't written it yet. You have written it, so why don't you yeah. tell us what that was all about? Yes, I mean, we went over it last week, but so it's, it's a fuller story than what I wrote last week, basically, yeah. which is um, the ORAN Alliance stands for Open RAN Alliance, mm-hmm. and it's basically a, a kind of operator-led effort to try and open up that bit of the network, the radio access network, um, yeah. and it's been quite hard to do that because of the one of the interfaces in particular that gets used, which connects the kind of processing stuff 
yeah. to the radios themselves. Just like a sort of bus, as we would call it, in PC yeah, exactly. parlance. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, that's it's, just closed. It's, 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 yeah, it sort of gets implemented in closed ways. It's right. got a lot of complexity that's in Cipri, it, from what isn't I understand. It? It's called CIPRI, yeah. which stands for Common Public Radio Interface, I think. And right. it, it's quite complicated. Bits of it aren't locked down, I think. is what is. It's almost like... Um, from what I understand, it's not a kind of finalised standard as such, right. and that and it's means it's not a standalone thing. It. So it's yeah. got to be integrated into. So something it else. is integrated. It tends to mean you have to work with one vendor's kit or at least one vendor's system. So kind of like smaller players, they would have approved, and it's made. You know, even though you can use your radio access network with, uh, you know, it's going to function with any any uh, phone or any yep. transport network underneath. It's that bit of it. it, it right. It's meant they can't sort of introduce radios from different suppliers into the network for instance and, and, it, and, that it, with and it sort of kit. raises the barrier to entry presumably and, yeah, and exactly. thus, thus yeah. is a thus the big kit vendors yeah you know, they like it when and the it, barrier and it to sounds, entry is raised, it sounds a bit like technical and what's the why is this such a big issue well, the you're reason, about to tell us aren't you? and the reason i think it's important is because um, the radio access network's like where all the money is spent that's you know if you talk to people like Deutsche telecom they say yeah. that when you're building a mobile network, about 70% of the spending goes into your radio access network. Wow. You know, all the core stuff, which gets talked about a lot at the mm. moment to do with Huawei because it's quite sensitive, is there's not a lot of money in, in that area. Right. It's, all, it's all on the radio access And is the network. reason the RAN so expensive because you've got to have just these thousands you've of You've got thousands of sites. Base stations. Yeah, you've got yeah. thousands of sites. And you've, you've got, got to buy the kit for each them, one. You've got to buy the yeah. kit for them. Um, so any, any way they can try and get the costs down there is something that they, they're going to try and do. Any difference they can make. Um, and see some operators, uh, Deutsche Telekom has been really kind of active in this area. I've talked to their former CTO a couple of times. He's now the guy who's sort of head of the tower bit, a guy called right. Bruno Jakob Fuborn. Oh, yeah, he's, and, that's one of those surnames that you've just got nailed. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's like, when I met him at Mobile World Congress, I think last year or the year before, he was like, yeah, this is this open ran uh, effort is is really crucial because it's a it's a good way of trying to introduce competition to that bit of the network yeah and if you can use things like white boxes which are basically it would be a a, a kind of dumb box that uses your radio and then you can if you introduce virtualization you can put you know software on that essentially yep. um yeah so then it, the, then so it the, means you can sort of reduce the costs quite yeah a lot, i mean hopefully. the way i think about it is to some extent what for example, PCs have been like forever. Yeah. Where yeah. you can pick your own motherboard and your own graphics card, your own CPU and your own RAM and just piece it all together. Ex exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, and Whereas so, I suppose so that, just to extend the metaphor, and I'm putting it out here in case I've got it wrong, you could argue that the more closed RAN system is a bit more like the sort of Apple ecosystem yeah, I guess. where you yeah, got a, yeah, where yeah. it's all yeah, built in, hard you can't cherry pick. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's why I think it's important and it's obviously um, it's a bit of a challenge to the existing ecosystem you know the, the RAN market yeah. has and, and this is the other reason I think it's become an issue for operators recently is that RAN market has three big suppliers internationally yeah. Huawei Ericsson Nokia there used to be more there used to be people like Nortel involved Alcatel Lucent yep. uh, Siemens before that merger took place you know the Nokia Siemens yep. so there's, there's, there's uh, used to be sort of seven or eight I think at one time right kit vendors and the fact that you've got less choice is obviously you know less competition uh, and it means it means initiatives like this get looked at more seriously i think they become a bigger priority for operators but was, it was, was was zte a well, ZT, player ZT's, in ran as well? ZT's a player in ran it's just and obviously they've and been samsung is diminished as well but they're quite the small they're quite oh, okay, small fine. companies i suppose compared to so the, the, the real giants of the area <coughs> the, the, the big three yeah the, the big three um, and it, because it's so, you know, it sounds like it's very disruptive. So it's obviously something that you, you feel is going to hit some resistance. And you hear mixed reports about. And this is very much the kind of focus of the article: is 
you know, how do companies like Ericsson, Nokia respond when something like this mm. is going on? You well, know, how do this they? Is, well, there's no, there's not been a sort of, um, you know, one one model for for all of them to follow. Really, I mean, Nokia very notably has sort of got involved at quite an early stage yeah. in all of this. And if you talk to people who know a lot more about this than I do, like Gabriel Brown at Heavy Reading, he says that they. You know, he's, he, he kind of re- rejects the argument to some extent that all of this is a, a massive existential crisis and it's going to put these companies out of business, which is okay. what so he's which is what the proponents who are trying to get in will tell you. The likes of Mavenir, which is a company yeah. that's trying to... It's a new entrant trying to get in there. Its its message is very much um, they're not interested. You know, the, the really big kit vendors yeah. are, 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 are was set it, to lose out. Was it in that article that you that you featured an interview with Mavenir. Mavenir features yeah. quite prominent in the thing I wrote yeah. Yeah, the, the, um, in the last few days. Um, and they, they've even suggested that um, people like Ericsson and Huawei have, have actually tried to block a lot of the developments yeah. that have been going on in the standards. But bodies. then we have to take in this, I, I say they've nothing got specifically about Mavenir, but obviously they've got this challenger disruptor they have, yeah. agenda, so they're, yeah. they're likely to say stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and I went to, I mean, there's a, there was a really strong criticism they made of Ericsson where they said they specifically tried to block it in 3GPP, right. and as a result of that, we took the it open outside. The open ran thing. Yeah, so there's, I mean, I don't want to go into all the technical That's complexities because okay. yeah. it starts to get really Really, get bogged down. And I'll get it wrong as well. But the the kind of uh, system that Mavenir favoured, the, the 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 kind of um, version of of open RAN technology that it thought would create, you know, the the best route into the market for kind of white box suppliers and yeah. make that much more feasible. They say that that particular technology was um, that technology option was basically blocked by, right. by Ericsson in the three G P. Which I mean, I find you know. Um, e- I don't obviously have any evidence one way or the other, but I find it completely plausible yeah. that any incumbent, um, when faced with disruption to their business model, is going to resist it. Yeah, and and Ericsson, when you go and ask when you when I went and asked them that, they were, you know, they they kind of they, you know, they didn't deny that it hadn't gone through the three GPP and that it had been yeah. something the three GPP didn't approve. Um, they're not going to say, yeah, we did block it because we we want to restrict competition, but clearly they were. Are looking at this as something that you know they didn't think was um, in the interests of either the market or yeah. uh, or their own business. So, so have you come to a sort of strong conclusion one way or the other about the, the involvement of the big? <laughs> well, Ericsson is now Ericsson is now involved. So, yeah. so this is the thing you have to note is that they've actually um, signed up to the Open yeah. Run Alliance. And if you and as I say, if you talk to people like Gabriel at like Heavy Reading, um, he says you know they. Open RAN is quite a complex area. There are lots of things going on besides the Cypri side of things. And some of the stuff that Ericsson wants to pursue is to do with that that, yeah. that kind of stuff. It's to do with things like RAN automation. Okay. So there's another area is getting the RAN to communicate with yeah. core network systems. Because there is the basic... Interoperability there. There is the basic um, philosophy behind open source in general. Yeah. Which is, you know, collective endeavor. Yeah, it's basically a sort of rising tide... Um, elevates all boats, or however yeah, that Yeah, this is less goes. open source as open approaches, I guess. Yeah. Interoperability, you know, there's still there's still perhaps. Um, I mean, it's the same, I suppose, with with this technical standards that get approved. You know, the things like the big ones that we talk about all the time, like 4G and 5G. They're not, you know, there's probably some open source involved in there, but it's more about industry collaboration and ensuring there's interoperability between different systems. And with with something like Cipri, that's been obviously a bit of an obstacle. Um, and yeah, you can see it being, you know, something that the big kit vendors are going to lose out if they, mm. you know, if that if that really takes off, then you talk to people like Mavenir, they're saying white boxes, they, their forecasts are suggesting this could be yeah. 20 or 30% of the whole market in the next few years. And I suppose, you know, Ericsson's joined and while, while we find it perfectly plausible 
that it might have joined with a bit of a heavy heart. Yeah. Uh, unless we have any concrete evidence to the contrary, we've got to kind of give it benefit of doubt to some degree, do we? Yeah, I think they assume they're going to muck I, in. I think the, the thing is totally that, obstruct. No, and I think this is why Nokia joined at quite an early stage, and I think Ericsson has obviously come under quite a lot of pressure from. You look at the people who are in the ORN Alliance on the service provider side, and it's AT&T, NTT Docomo, Deutsche Telekom, Verizon. It's all the big, you know, really big tier one operators yeah. in all regions of the world. Now, if those companies are saying, this is something we think is really important, yeah, yeah. and we want this from our kit vendors, then what are you going to do? You're yeah, going to yeah. sort of, You're not sort just of going to stick your fingers on your end and go, stick your fingers, like, we're not interested, we're yeah. going to carry on doing things the way we've always done, or are you going to, you know, you're Quite. going to have to give some some you know leeway and yeah. and then I guess now they're looking at ways that it could be advantageous for them you know and one one way, I mean Gabriel has said this a few times that it could spur a lot of innovation you know there are times when it might be in Ericsson's <coughs> interest to work with a small kit a small radio um, developer to do something quite innovative that only addresses a small niche area and in the past perhaps they couldn't do that because it's not a big enough priority they they're, they're focused on you know, the really big kind of macro yeah. opportunities. So if they can bring this kind of freedom into the um, okay. market, then it, it, it sort of facilitates collaboration. It might op open up some opportunities for them. But Huawei still hasn't joined. That's the, that's the right. one that's still very so, much on the outside. So talking about Huawei, which obviously I trailed from the start, and talking about opportunities, you wrote another piece that I only just read today, but I think you published it yesterday, about some of the opportunities that may or may not be available to the other two kit vendors from all this aggro yeah. that, that Huawei's been getting. I only just skimmed that, so I'm not even going to try and paraphrase it. Why don't you just well, this, uh, give this us an is, overview this is of that piece? tying in with what's going on at the moment with the kind of security backlash and yeah. you know the, the concern in various European markets now. When we were talking about this a bit last week with uh, Jamie's stuff about the European you know, Commission sort of trying yeah. to introduce legislation that would stop Huawei from operating. Um, and there's obviously a lot of concern on the operator side about the, the, the ramifications of that because they've you know I think Huawei is probably the biggest service provider in Europe biggest um, kit vendor in Europe yeah so you spoke to um, am I right in thinking you spoke to one or two operators on yeah. sort of condition anonymity yeah and they gave you some quite juicy yeah insight. I mean they, they basically said um, and we've heard operators say things like this before that um, you know that Huawei is really important that it's yeah. ahead in 5G you know it's not something that's easily replaced and, right. they, and they, they are were, ahead. It's generally accepted they're ahead in 5G So I asked them this. I said, "Well, what do you mean they're ahead in 5G? Because surely with, with something that's standardised, you know, it's it's 5G. Everybody, mm -hmm. you know, things we've just been talking about interoperability. There's there's only a certain number of ways you can differentiate the product. Yeah. It's tweaks. It's energy efficiency. It's stuff right. like that. And they were saying, um, yeah, but it's not just about that. It's about the stock. It's about their sort of things like their manpower." You know how much yeah. they can commit in terms of resources to getting jobs done. So that, those are quite classic Huawei. I remember, I think, I think Jamie wrote this up a year a Mobile Congress or two ago about um, people telling him that Huawei can just deliver more people yep. to sort stuff out. Yeah. So they were saying all these truck rolls that are needed to to do work on, yeah. you know, getting new five G stuff up or modifying four G or whatever, is something that they're they're already set up to do that in Europe. You know, they they yeah. already have these deals. They're ready in to place. rock. If all of a sudden you, you, you get some legislation coming in which says you can't use Huawei anymore, then for Ericsson and Nokia to come in and suddenly be expected to take the slack, well, this this service provider that I was talking to was saying they just can't replace them. There's no way they could do it. Yeah. And then I got in touch with our friend who always comes up on um, you know, the podcast, right. Bengt, at, um, North Stream, because yeah. I thought it'd be good to get we might some, even grab some him kind of Congress perspective. Everything goes according to plan. And he, and he made the interesting point that you know, if you go back to last September or October, when they were planning for what was going to happen in 2019, there's no way that they would have been 
prepared for any of this. I mean, it's really snowballed in the last few weeks. Yeah, it seems to get more, um, you know, more bizarre every day. So there's no way that Huawei and sorry Nokia and Ericsson would have prepared for having to do major swap outs and suddenly coming in. Mm. Um, and therefore, it's no. a really valid point. This resources issue. That, yeah. Uh, the other the other thing the operator that I was talking to said but was is this, sorry to butt in is this swap outs at, at like four G and like legacy technologies as well as five G because well it depends, most of the aggro it depends what happens five G most of the aggro is at five G but it, I suppose it depends what happens um, but I think no the, there's concern even coming in and having to you know be a be a sort of five um, G vendor and replacement to right. um, to Huawei and 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 the, the point one of the points the operator made was that. Um, where Ericsson and Nokia are really sort of channeling their resources at the moment is into North America. Right, both of them. Uh, well, he's, the guy I spoke to specifically said Ericsson. Right. He said, if you look at how many engineers Ericsson's got, I bet they're, I bet pretty much all of them are kind of focused on doing work in yeah. North America because they don't have any competition there from Huawei. No. And they've got big jobs with all the main And companies. they've got their mate over at Verizon. They're, and they've got, yeah, they've got Hans Vestberg over there kind of giving them work and there's loads going on. Yeah. And that that's sort of left Europe, bit. you know, Europe's basically a right. Huawei kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say Huawei Empire because obviously Ericsson and Nokia are there, but you think Huawei so, being are European the biggest, countries, the biggest. Um, Where's their loyalty? Vendor. So yeah, yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting point. Um, oh, no, I think I know. I, I know there's some LinkedIn action going on today um, in response to the story because Bank sort of um, shared it. Shared it. Some with people are pe piping up, are they? Yeah, some people saying that they they sort of deny that they wouldn't be able to come. I mean, they're okay. They're, these are they're Ericsson people, right. obviously, but their own. Um, their own press office got back to me with a statement basically saying that they made strategy changes in the last few weeks to enable them to, um, you know, up resources and deal with this sort of issue. Sounds like, is um, sounds like sort of UK Parliament going, we've just suddenly started preparing for no no deal Brexit. Yeah, yeah. Um, at risk of shoehorning Brexit into the discussion. Yeah, yeah I mean, I look, we, we know that both Nokia and Ericsson have been downsizing or streamlining or whatever euphemism we use for laying loads of people off yeah um so they're gonna have less capacity yeah to do stuff yeah um you know whether or not they're channeling a disproportionate amount of it to north america which again i've got no reason to doubt your you know your sources on that one um it stands to reason they're not going to just suddenly be able to mobilize an army of engineers and and um, system integrators and whatever other kinds of yep. boffins need to implement these things because then they're, they're lean and mean they haven't got this latent capacity just sitting around to do this stuff so uh, so yeah I suppose their press office can give you whatever kind of vaguely defensive response they want but I, I, it seems perfectly plausible to me um, I'll do one more thing we, we haven't we haven't thrown anything Jamie's way yet. I'm feeling guilty. but So I've got a segue. One more thing for Ian, but it's a segue to Jamie, which is, uh, you told me, I haven't read this, you told me you just wrote a story about Huawei and, dare we say, it's 6G. I did, yeah, because um, they'd had some, more, they keep, keep having these set, uh, sessions in Shenzhen, it seems, with top people, whether it's the founder or one of the rotating That's right. CEOs. That's right, and they got, they got some UK hacks over Yeah, they had a few UK hacks, more kind of computer well, magazine yeah, type people rather mix, than the, it? I mean, that's, there was someone there from the Telegraph, I noticed, but yeah. it tended to be mainly... Computer uh, Weekly computer or whatever. Weekly and that yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so they got asked a bit more about the, te the technical stuff than they usually do. And that that obviously gave them an opportunity to then sort of go off on one about what comes next. And, yeah. Um, Eric Chu, who was the main guy, sort of answering the questions. He's one of their rotating chairmen, I think. Right. 
They like, uh, they like to rotate. He was sort of saying the thing that's, that kind of keeps him occupied at the moment and that, that's on his mind a lot is 6G. Right. And and uh, they're Which now was... shifting R&D into 6G. Right. Because 5G development is almost over. He said 2019, it's all kind of done. Right. You know? We know what it is. And in the next few years, everybody's going to be talking about 6G and that's where we're sort of starting to put our R&D. Right. And I thought it was quite interesting given what's happening in the 5G market that it's brought about this big crisis for Huawei. The, mm. the speculation that we might end up with some kind of, you know, balkanised uh, equipment market where you've got Huawei going back to, you know, serving... You know, China, obviously, but yeah, and other friendly bits of Asia, Middle East, and Africa, Africa, wherever. Yeah, and then the you know the European vendors are obviously they've got North America and maybe a lot of Europe. But maybe they're thinking if in the future, if there is a kind of another turnaround, you know, and and things start to recover, that they want to be in a position then where they're able to lead global developments of the next technology trend, which well, is so, going to be sixty. Yeah. But then I I noticed Jamie had been writing a lot about. 6G this week as well, where he'd been a lot more thorough than I have and gone yeah, out. Yeah, well, we'll get onto that in a second, but Pierre's been putting his oh, hand up. Oh, then Jamie can explain, like, what the hell is 6G? Ah, well, we're, we're leading up to that. <laughs> well, no one really that. knows. But... One, just one <laughs> thing before I ask Jamie about what he's written, Ian, is one reason perhaps for Huawei to be prioritising 6G would be to have a bigger part of the standard exactly. with its own IP in exactly, it. Yeah. Now, I just, what I don't know is how big a part of legacy standards including 5g yeah um huawei's well, I've, I've intellectual been talking to property a few people and about that this right. week um and the 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 general view is that and also if you look at sort of data that i've been able to get hold of that huawei's positions improved a lot with the move to 5g right so they have a bigger share so, of and the they got some momentum. They had with right you go back to the days of three what they tried to do with 3g was to come up with their own technology something called tds cdma right which was like a chinese developed standard tds basically didn't work yeah and there was a little bit of that going on with 4g where they had something called lte tdd right um what they've done with 5g is basically put all their efforts behind the kind of international main, standard but but basically trying to have try a, really to be a bigger piece of the standard there. yeah and i suspect that with yeah as you say with 6g there's there'd be even more determination to try and own that given what's going on at the moment in the yeah, kind of trade dispute and it's there's a lot of arbitration going on at the moment obviously you know companies like qualcomm are, are often involved in these sort of disputes yeah. where you get huge payouts happening yeah someone i spoke to this morning was saying if you look at china now what, what they're doing is setting up their own sort of arbitration courts and trying to have that as an important jurisdiction for litigation in this area but he also made the interesting point that a lot of a lot of the IP payments, the kind of licensing money that that flows around the world at the moment from things like 4G, mm-hmm. it's all smartphone based. You know, it is very much depending on um, right. the, the money's the intellectual property within the modem and that sort of thing. Exactly. Well, it's it's really because that's where all the money is. If you look at the size of the smartphone market compared with the actual equipment market, I suppose so. That's where the money's coming from. Now, with 5G and then presumably 6G as well, what you what you're going to see is that technology, that connectivity going outside smartphones and into other types of device, right. cars, potentially medical equipment. IoT, so all of a sudden, IP then becomes a, a big issue for all these other industries okay. and p- potentially a big sales opportunity. You know, for, for ad- advisory purposes, companies trying to get in and advise about, um, you know, sort of patent assertion risks and that yep. sort of thing, but also the money to be made from actually licensing equipment yep. could be substantially okay. more. All right, so we'll... Um the uh, we've sort of answered the the question that Jamie posed in, in his piece that he published at the start of this week, which is, is it too soon to start talking about six G or something like that, wasn't it, Jamie? No, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, ultimately, they've been talking about six G for about two or three years. Now. Yeah, 
Um, so, you know, saying is it too early to start talking about 6G? I mean, you know, it's two. Oh, no, two, you said, are you ready? Didn't yeah, you? yeah. You said, are you ready? Two, two or three year, years after the, supposedly the, edited it. Uh, after the, the conversation yeah. actually started. Um, but it's, you know. But not many people have been writing about 6G up until us suddenly getting all funny ideas. Yeah, I mean, we've, done, we've doubled the amount of content there's ever been on 6G this week. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's just one of these things that you know it takes seven or eight years to yeah. uh, to develop a standard. So of course, so people are been, talking about it already. And so yeah, so they you know they've been talking about it for a long time. It's been in the universities, and it's ultimately they need to figure out. But ultimately, you, there's going to be a lot of new science that goes into it. But you know, there's no there's no there's no idea of what the requirements for six G will actually right. be. So that's what I was going to ask you. You know, you wrote quite a long piece. You chatted to a few people. Were you, were you able to get some sense? <laughs> Of what the what the characteristics or the well, nature of six G will be. Well, you don't know. No, yeah. you don't know. You don't. I think I a mean, lot of it depends on what happens with five G. Right. Because if you look at the Gs, like for what was four G? Four G was basically sorting out the the, the cock up that was three G. To do with data. Yeah, I mean, all three G was supposed to be a big revolutionary technology for data. the very first start for data. Yeah. They put data on smartphones for the first time. And then it didn't work very well. The devices weren't ready. Yeah. The connections weren't very good. It was all very disappointing. Three G, and four G basically came along and, and did what three G was supposed to do. Did mobile and, data and properly. And if you talk to hacks like Ian Scales, you know, um, they sort of say, well, it's not really four G, is it? It's three G. It's just it eventually three G on steroids. Out. Okay, fair and, enough. And and I guess five G is supposed to be a bit different because it's supposed to be a bit of a a bit of a transformation. Um, yeah. Are we I mean, going to get to the apex though with five G? Well, it depends what what happens with it because there's so much that's still unknown with 5G. I mean, no one mm. really knows whether release 16 is not is not here yet. Yeah, that's the bit and that's, that's not here till the end of the year. Not, it's end of the year, and then you won't see anything happening with it. A lot of you know, talk to service providers; they're not really sure what the applications are going to be. The ones that get trotted out are always robotic surgery and, yeah, and cars, and but there's a lot of skepticism about cars, um, and so no one really knows what it's going to what it's going to do. And, and I think Fair it, enough. I think it depends. If it ends up being a bit of a disaster and not working for whatever reason, um, then, then maybe 60 ends fundamental up becoming a, you know, so, a, a solution to that rather than something that's a bit more, a bit more well, radical. So, so, Jamie, what? It's totally fair enough that you weren't able to to conclude something concrete. Well, no one concluded. What, it. what, I mean, what I mean, did you get from if your I, research? If I finish what I was yeah, st yeah, starting to say earlier. Um, Basically, no one knows what the use cases are going to be because everyone's talking about 5G, but it's you know we're not even at 5 5G point zero at the moment yeah. it's because of release 16 will address total cost of ownership, softwareization, virtualization, millimeter wave. You know, none of, none of these, none of the standards that have been put out in the industry at the moment actually address any of these massive, massive topics, which are supposed to define the 5G era. So. Without these topics and without these standards, you can't actually figure out what 5G is. And the only reason 5G actually came across is because 4G networks were stressed and were strained and were right. put to the limit. But until you actually get to the limit of what 5G actually is, you can't start defining what 4G is. Totally. But I mean, what? Uh, sorry, what 6G is? Yeah. So ultimately, you got to you got to say, well, what what is the big use case for 5G? And then that will advance 6g so mm -hmm. it might be iot it might be uh, you know it might be in autonomous vehicles it might be using different sort of coding it might it might be uh using new science to 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 improve spectrum efficiency or it might be something as daft as you know using using new technologies to get energy efficiency down so you can actually i mean there's no it doesn't have to be faster this no. is what everyone's obsessed yeah, with yeah yeah 
it, mm. the next G doesn't have to be about speed. No. It doesn't have to be about latency. It doesn't have to be about bandwidth. It doesn't have to be about the pipe at all. Right. Each generation of mobile is for the benefit of the mobile industry. Yeah. But the mobile industry defines what that benefit actually is and sometimes and you know when it gets to 6G because there's so many small cells all over the place trying to actually um you know to 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 to, to run the connected community they might turn around and go wait a minute our energy bills are through the roof i know small cells are smaller than traditional 4G cells yeah but the collective, the collective yeah, energy use, yeah, yeah, the collective energy use might send it through, well, and, and especially if they're putting edge computing equipment out yeah. there and stuff as well. So, yeah. I mean, this is this is the big thing. I mean, no one knows. I mean, edge computing that could completely yeah. differ. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> when you talk about, I mean, something else I'm researching at the moment is what the uh, the next generation of smartphones are going to look like and what a device will look like in a decade's time, right. and. Um, cool, good thing we're going to talk about smartphones in a bit. Then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, none of the smartphone manufacturers actually want to tell them, and I think they're all right. being very cowardly. Um, <laughs> especially Huawei. Man. You bottled it. Um, <laughs> but Did they not want to talk? No, not in the slightest. Um, but ultimately, the, I mean, for what, them. Yeah, what a few people have told me, Ericsson have told me, um, is that processing <laughs> power is ultimately going to be moving off the device. Yeah. And you just you just think of mm. you know the, the 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 intensity of the applications, yeah. the 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 amount of band uh, the amount of data that will be required um, to actually run them effectively. Um, you just can't. These mm. devices just can't handle. Yeah. Them. And on the flip side, if you've got really fat, capacious pipes, then you can do this this done client thing, yeah, thin yeah. client thing, where where you, you're doing all the processing in the cloud mm. because you've got the pipe to be able to handle the interchange. But to do that, you need edge computing to take off. You need edge yeah. data sensors. So so this that could completely redefine. And that could be the the, the basis of 6G. You know, the, the basis of 6G is edge computing and distributed yeah. computing power and storage power and self-learning algorithms held yeah. in the clouds and on and on these sort of mini data centers that are scattered all over the world. I think I think that it's likely could, to be something to do with that. Yes. There's, there's a suggestion that it will cover some uh, stuff to do with quantum computing, that that might figure in. Um, yeah. In yes. Because yes. you need that kind of that's, that's that is like a massive shift in terms of processing power. We're getting we're getting closer. And then to that, then it now. really would be transformational. Yeah. That wouldn't be a, a a kind of 4G fixing 3G type issue. It would be a a, a, a real. Job. But isn't it just moving the power consumption somewhere else? Yeah. Quantum computing. So no, like no, 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 not the power consumption. Not power consumption. The processing power. So yeah, the, but it's, it, computers are completely You're talking about energy bills going through the roof. system, basically. Yes, yeah. So it's not zero or one; it can be both. It right, be yeah, no, I know about it. And it and it massively changes the game in terms yeah, of yeah. processing power. But, but, so. but what we're talking about processing power is taking it off the device, so you don't yeah. need to have a, a, a you know a hot modem on there. You can actually store that into. I mean, one of the things I'm waiting to develop. You mean CPU? Yeah, you you know what I mean. The, the, right. the, the, yeah. the components themselves, the, chip, yeah. the size that this could be completely, you know, completely different. Yeah. It doesn't have to look like this in ten years' time. When you take everything mm. away from it, mm. the battery can be smaller. If you've got voice interaction and gesture interaction, why do you actually need a screen? Um, yeah. You know, then then we've got two different devices. You've got one which is explicitly for entertainment, and the other one is for traditional communications, communications and information. Um, you know, it, it's the form factor. God knows, 
you know, who would have I've thought... Got, I've got some cool utopian ideas about that, but I'll yeah, bring but, them up but, in a bit. But who, who would have thought that this would be... Mm. You know, do you, do you remember back in the, the, the early noughties when we were dealing back with... Yeah, back when we were dealing with Nokia feature phones. Quite. I mean, Chris, can you imagine carrying something like this around? Yeah. You know, go back 15 years, your, you never would have thought era. about it. Yeah, well, I remember writing. I remember writing about the smartphones when they started up, and, and a typical like early iPhone was so much smaller than this—a little yeah. sort of three and a half inch screen. And 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 then when I was at Strategy Analytics, there was this category we spoke about called phablets, <coughs> which is a sort of portmanteau of phone and tablet. Yeah. And we considered phablet to start at about sort of six inches, and six inches is pretty normal yeah. smartphone. And, and I remember thinking, what kind of a dick? would walk around with a tablet by the side of their head if it looked like a real idiot because obviously yeah. phones back in the day were really small. But now, you know, culturally we've adjusted really quickly as well. No one thinks it looks not that hardly anyone it's actually talks on their phones look, anymore. I wonder if they you know if they brought them in phablet sized in two thousand and six, seven or whatever. You people know, just freaked people out. Have gone, hang on a minute, that's a bit big, but isn't the, it? But the thing is everyone's trying to everyone's trying to dictate the next form factor and I just don't think it's taken off. Like, What about these fold out things that you've been looking at? Ah, here? I think you just go back further. The next right. form factor of a communications device was what they tried to force on the market and the market really didn't like was a smartwatch. You know, this yeah. was mm. eventually they've got standalone connectivity and they got um, sort of talking Bluetooth features and all that sort of thing. They got communications features on that device. So that was a potential different form factor for a yeah. communications device, but it just flopped. I mean, you know, yeah. they're saying they're saying that something like um, there's still like sort of th few. There's sort of few, but I mean, not. Uh, it's never going to replace the phone because no. this is too much of an entertainment device now, yeah. as opposed to uh, a communications device. Um, yeah. But you know, I th I just think that I, I I agree with you. Edge computing is probably what is going to define yeah. the next era, yeah. and I'm just waiting for, for instance, you know, those. Um, you know, you know the the exchange cabinets you've got at the end of every street. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you have got all the fibre wires and all that sort They'll of thing. Little data centers. Yeah, yeah. there'll be mini AI centers. Uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Just stick it, stick a server in there, and yeah. it's a little local data center for anyone that walks past. And I think yeah. eventually, yeah. that's going to happen across all of the world. Is all those little inter in, interchanges, yeah. interexchange? I can't remember what. The, yeah, I, I, yeah. Whatever the word cabinets, is, I just cabinet. Them, whatever but, the, yeah, all those little yeah. cabinets are going to yeah. house mini micro data yeah, yeah. centers yeah. why not so what about like consoles that's not going to be what do you mean gonna, like a console is going to be gone then you'll be well just, i think you'll have it but it'll be dumb you'll have the no you'll just have the uh controller and then mm. you know, oh, the processing oh, will yeah, be done yeah. in the cloud so your tv will well, just it's kind of going that way anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah you can't yeah. You, yeah yeah effectively i mean mm. you'd still have to have i mean i don't see why not you know you yeah. could you can have you know the 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 the, the data center the data center could have a stack which is just Xbox in there for the local community, yeah. and then all of a sudden, all you need to do is switch on your TV. Your whole you USB key yeah, yeah, it's already, it's already yeah. happening with these. I, yeah. I remember when you used to. I mean, maybe it's different for Android users, but you know, you used to take photos on your your iPhone, and after a while, it ran out of space. And you have to delete photos. Oh yeah. Whereas now that they automatically it's go into cloud, the cloud storage, but they, they, you don't even choose it. That's the default. Well, there's, for them there's to another do bit that. of cloud processing that's actually yeah. been around for a while. When when Siri first came out and these smart assistants, there's a degree of remote processing that goes on with that because mm. I think it's quite processor intensive. Yeah. That that sort of speech recognition and and the, the rudimentary AI that's in that stuff. So, you, so you've got that sort of thing already going on, and I suppose with all these other like smart speakers, this Alexa, well, we'll all take that too jazz. Much space. Imagine every question would have to be pre-recorded. Right. 
yeah, yeah. Well, no, in, yeah. In terms of the data file, yeah. But yes, just the processing. So yeah, I, I think, I think Jamie's completely spot on in that way. It seems to be headed that way. I mean, there's there's so many other things that you think uh, that that build on that argument as well. And when you look at AI that is supposed to be everywhere and anywhere um, over the next couple of years, AI doesn't work with latency that we've got at the moment. You know, it's got to be so. When you look at machine to machine, it's got to be so snap instantaneous. So all of a sudden, you cannot have stuff going back to the core, um, and you you know you, yeah. it has to be hosted on the edge. It has to be for machine to machine to work in the grand vision that we have. There has to be a distributed network, and the the algorithms has to be hosted on the edge, and they have to be self learning um, and self adapting on the edge. You know this this whole AI idea just doesn't work without a distributed cloud and edge computing. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, Somebody talks about this quite well, actually, is um, one of our colleagues, Aditya Kaul at yeah. Tactica. Because um, AI is their to, thing, isn't it? He was talking about this, um, yeah, with, with Ray on a video recently okay. about the kind of battle that's going on between the centralized data centers and the companies that want to come in and start doing stuff at the edge or even, you know, even closer to the to the device level. Yeah. That there's a lot of vested like interest Jamie's there, cabinet. obviously, because you've got the, the big kind of web guys have, have built up this centralized cloud infrastructure and they have they have a sort of interest in trying to do as much of, of this there as, as possible. Yeah. But, you know, as Jamie says, a lot of this stuff just isn't going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to do that in a machine to machine world where you need this, you know, super low latency. Yeah. So actually, I just remember what disruptive. I was going to say. Um, network slicing. Mm. So we've been talking about how 6G, as with previous generations, we're only going to know what it is when we've been doing 5G for a while and we've got a sense of what the market's demanding yeah. of the next generation. And then one things, one of the things that is supposedly built into 5G is this network, this concept of network slicing, whereby. But I think network but you can slice on a 4G. As, I don't think that's as interesting as everybody makes out. Well, I think it's, well let, me, let me quickly finish. I'm, I'm not saying it's intrinsic. Yeah, we're going to leap on you, Scott. Yeah, well, no, are, please do. <laughs> please do. I don't mind being interrupted, but I, I would just want you to know what you're interrupting, yeah. which, which is that through network slicing, are we then not going to get a picture? And you can then look at data over how the network is being sliced at various points around the world. And then we can get a sense of are most people dedicating the majority of their network all of a sudden to this, that or the other? And might that influence how 6G is developed? I, I, I mean, unless, unless I'm getting the science completely wrong, I don't think network slicing is exclusive to 5G. I just think that it's something... you Because in theory, network slicing is just splitting the signal... Um, and then creating virtualized networks as slices, so you can have, you know, the 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 pipe can be split into okay. ten. I'm going to defer to Ian. I'm going to defer to Ian on this. He's I, more techy than I am. Well, I don't know, but I know that um, when I went up to a, a, a demo that BT did at Wembley of of one of the use cases for 5G, which was using it with using it as a replacement for kind of broadcast systems. Oh yeah. Um, instead of kind of satellite systems, they've got their they've got their box at yeah, Wembley. Yeah, and in they? that instance, it wasn't about latency. They said it was about network slicing, and that um, it was it was the stuff that's actually coming in in future with release 16. Uh, I'm sure you can right. do some of this with 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 4G actually, but there's sort of stuff built into those standards that allows you to do network better. slicing in a yeah I guess just in a better way yeah. and it gives you the guarantee some of the guarantees it, that you need for for serving businesses because they want that this is what this is what could play a big role actually in 4G 
like dislodging 4G from enterprise environments, I right. think, because but companies isn't, isn't want that. Isn't that the reason that why it isn't as exciting? Because it's not necessarily a 5G revolution. It's, it's just it's it's not, the fact that it's, standards and the it's, science it's is service level agreements. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yes. So it's the science is actually. See, it, it, it just seems to be co- coincidentally yeah. the science and the standards are yeah. being released at the same as Fair 5G. Yeah. It's kind of five nines reliability type stuff, I think. Well, and that's an interesting thing about the, yeah. the development. Seeing as we're talking about the very early development of a standard, is you've got a bit of a chicken and egg thing between the concepts and, and what is actually technically viable. So you can start planning to do something, yeah. but perhaps with the sure knowledge that you're not actually going to be able to physically do it. Yeah. for several years even after everyone's agreed it's a great idea so that's an interesting sort of trade-off that these boffins have to do yeah, yeah. i mean i i can i can see I, I mean the thing is i i think that network slicing is 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 less a is less a revolution and more a realization it's going to be like clouds like clouds yeah. was presented as a as or, or i mean another example will be blockchain it's it's presented as a revolutionary idea at the moment but it, it, sooner or later, it's just going to become bog standard. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just some, something yeah. that you do, and I can't believe we ever, you know, like we look at cloud, you go, okay, it's something we do, and I can't believe we actually managed to do without it before. You know, I don't think yeah. it's so much. A, I think it's a revolution in that sense. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that it's just going to be like no one talks about cloud in that much anymore, or that that or as public or private clouds as until that Google, interesting until in, Google drops 10 no, no, zillion I, quid on it but I mean in, in, in conferences you know it's not that interesting a topic because people generally know how to granted, do it it's taken for granted isn't it yeah yeah, yeah it's, just it's taken thing. for granted and I think there's that's a lot of money ne- going into it but it's yeah. taken for granted that they, yeah. that they will spend on it's it like, it's like you don't have conferences about electricity capacity. yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. So I just think I think that's what that is instead of uh, what network slicing fits in. I, th- I think there'll be very there'll be incremental utilitized um, benefits and in and, and, and improvements over the years. But it's not going to be like AI where they have you know five years down the line they're going to have some revolutionary idea which builds on top of it and completely changes the entire fabric of of society. You know, but I mean, but it is I, just, I yeah. Okay, I've got um I'm getting that uh, clock gesture from Pierre I got one one last thing I wanted to throw into the smartphone mix well we're talking about future smartphones and we had this sort of thin client concept which seems perfectly plausible to me um, is uh, you know one of the things we're expecting to come up at this is mobile Congress are the first sort of bendy screen type of uh, implementations um, but I've seen some sort of utopian stuff where you you've actually got flexible PCB printed circuit boards. So basically, the entire phone is flexible. Now, if you know, if we have this thin client thing where you, where you, yeah, and smoke it, smoke it, yeah, <laughs> have, a great, have a great big smartphone spliff. Um, uh, what would you sprinkle in anyway? Um, and uh, yes, but but the whole thing's completely flexible. And if and if not much of the processing needs to be done locally, because as we've said, it's we're, we're getting this distributed. Uh, processing going on, and we're having this uh, bandwidth and low latency that enables us to off, off, um, offload nearly all of the processing onto some localized data center. Then, then presumably you could you could have a lot less sort of material in the phone. And and if you've got these flexible PCBs that actually work, you could have these phones, or even like, but it could be what revitalizes the smartwatch. Imagine if you had a smartwatch, we could just sort of unfurl a bit of extra phone from it and all that sort of thing now all this stuff is admittedly utopian but it's not quite as far-fetched as you might think 
my my problem with the smartphone is that it's just not functional. Like I I get I, I think smartwatch or smartphone smart, smartwatch sorry yeah. it's just not functional because yeah okay I get the idea that you can pull something out but realistically it's much easier to watch something like that than it is to watch something like that. Yeah. Um, and but, right now it's just a little one inch screen which isn't much good yeah. for anything. But I think I think you're gonna basically gonna carry one of these around but no I think what. it's gonna be it's gonna be a dumb device. Um, this is my this is my grand prediction. Okay, cool. We'll finish um, on that. I think um, I think you carry one of these around, but it'll just be a really, really dumb device with very little processing intelligence actually on the device because I think it, that will be all transferred to the edge eventually. Yep. But I think this will be purely for entertainment purposes. Okay. Uh, and then as soon as you take all the processing power and you take the screen away, all of a sudden the communication device can be as something as simple as... Um, as uh, a, pair of, a pair, a pair yeah. of headphones, and you know, it, you get a notification and it reads out your text, and then you dictate a reply to the voice to it. UI is and then, it, and then, if you want to, you know, and then they're, they're embedding um, sort of um, sort of connectivity stuff into fabric nowadays, yep. so you can you could have your controls for music yeah. there, and you can swipe back and forth because of gestures. Uh, you know, if you need a bigger screen, biometrics are becoming absolutely fantastic. So you go to any universal screen. And it recognizes you immediately and it, you up, special it gives you yeah. brings up your home page on any screen that you look at on in the planet you know i mean that, i mean obviously that's you know way way down the line but i mean cool a well, lot if of we these... can talk about 6g we can talk about that yeah yeah i mean that's what i think i think i think this will become redundant cool i'm going for the smartphone spliff you're going for the smartphone <laughs> well, latency after that but... spliff phone uh cool well on that note i wonder if we'll get censored for that do you think that's allowed? Anyway, um, on that note, okay, so just to remind you one more time that um, a day or two earlier next week, we're going to do our special Mobile Congress preview edition. And we will, of course, be recording something from the show, like we always do, provided everyone can get it together. Um, so, yeah, keep, keep your eye out for both of those. And thanks for listening, and make sure you join us for the next one. <laughs>